Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together. Glad to have you along. Hey, 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 Carol. Hey, Lewis. Good morning, Keith. Oink Oink says, this video title is provocative for my Amel brothers. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Uh, Mike, hello from Sweden. Glad to uh, have you with us as well. So we are wrapping up this uh, brief series on the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And uh, Oink Oink there is referring to something, my, the title. If you've read theologians, if you've read uh, uh, re really a lot of systematic theology books, especially dealing with eschatology, uh, you will hear this phrase, the now and not yet, or sometimes it's framed already, not yet. So many of the promises that we see in the scripture are in some sense already given to us. And in some sense, we have not yet received them. For instance, salvation if you read the, uh, the New Testament and look at the word salvation, you will find it in the past tense, in the present tense, and in the future tense, right? We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. So the question is, well, which is it? Well, there's a sense in which it is already or it is now, and there's a sense in which it is not yet. That's a, that is a helpful terminology, I think, to, uh, to help us to kind of potter through some of these things. So when it comes to the kingdom, as we will see today, there is a not yet aspect of the kingdom. But there's also a now or an already aspect, and that is the part I've been stressing through this series because it seems like we so often look to the future, we look to the not yet part and don't have a great enough appreciation for the, the now of the kingdom. And that causes us to miss out and maybe even to not work the way we should work in the kingdom now to bring the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ to fill the earth. Right? We're alive now. We're not, we're not alive in the future yet. <laughs> you can't live tomorrow. You can only live today. And we have a job to do. And we have a king to serve. And his kingdom is growing and expanding and it's going to fill the earth, as we have seen. And so live today in the kingdom. And then at the end of your life, um, then you can worry about the future. Uh, Carol says, this about past, present, future is lovely because Jesus is the one who was and is and is to come. Exactly. And right now we're is, right? All right. So to show you that the kingdom is not yet, let's look at how Paul describes it in 2 Timothy. Okay. So he's, he's writing to his young protege, Timothy, and he's talking about how he was uh, being accused and falsely accused of things. And he was having to defend himself, and no one came to his aid. This is 2 Timothy 4, 16. At first, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me, the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Now, a lot of things we've talked about is, as far as being too small a thing for uh, the servant to just come to Israel and the kingdom going to the Gentiles, all that is 
kind of uh, assumed here, right? But it's this uh, verse 18 that I wanted to get to. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. I'm, I'm convinced, he says, the Lord will rescue me. But does that mean he's never going to die? Does that mean this won't end in his beheading? We're pretty certain from church history that Paul was beheaded. So how was it that he was delivered from that evil deed? Well, look what he says. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, in, the, uh, in the original language here, this is actually, or more literally said, he will save into his heavenly kingdom. So he will rescue me and will save me. It's the same word that's used everywhere else in the New Testament for salvation. He will save me to his heavenly kingdom. And then this phrase again in the, in the Greek is uh, to him to whom be the glory into the ages of the ages. So here Paul is looking for the heavenly kingdom. He's been working to um, expand the kingdom on earth to take it to the Gentiles. And he's put up with a lot of stuff, a lot of persecution, a lot of, a lot of strife from Christians and not Christians alike, especially from the Jews. And he knows that the Lord ultimately is going to make good on his word and take him, save him to the heavenly kingdom. Well, that's true for all of us. So we, we know that's coming. And, and at the end of our life, that's, that is a reasonable view to have that now that I've run the race he's given me and I've done what he's called me to do here on earth, I can be sure he's going to save me to the heavenly kingdom. And that's wonderful. And we look forward to that. But in the meantime, there is the now kingdom. And again, that's the kingdom we live in at the moment. So we should be working toward that. Paul spent his adult converted life preaching the kingdom now with full awareness that at the end of his life, he would go to the heavenly kingdom, the kingdom not yet. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? All right. So let's look at a couple more passages here having to do with the kingdom now. I want to go back to something Jesus taught. When the disciples were uh, asking him how to pray, how they should pray, uh, we have what we call the Lord's Prayer, but might be better to think of it as the, uh, the, the disciples' prayer, because in Luke's version, at least, Jesus teaches this in response to their statement, teaches how to pray. I want to look at Matthew's uh, rendition of it in Matthew chapter 6. You've probably recited this many times, the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray therefore in this way. You start by saying, our Father who's in heaven, remember who you're praying to. He's your Father and he dwells in heaven. Hallowed be your name, the first request. Father, make your name holy, make your name set apart to me. And then look at the next request. Your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. Well, what does that mean, Lord? The next phrase explains it. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is a parallel structure. It's a Hebra Hebraic uh, form of, of writing. The, the second 
phrase, second sentence, expands on the first or describes the first further. What does it mean for God's kingdom to come, for the Father's kingdom to come? It means that people on earth will do his will just as they do his will in heaven. Well, how is God's will done in heaven? From everything we know, everyone in heaven submits to the Father's will. He does what God wants him to do. All the angelic creatures, they do God's bidding. Jesus says, pray that the Father's kingdom would come on earth. And as that happens, what's going to happen? People on earth are going to do his will. They're going to obey him, just as the angelic creatures do in heaven. We're to pray for this. We want to see. We should want to, you should want to see. Everyone on earth submitting to Jesus Christ and obeying him to do his will. Don't you want that? Don't you want the people in your household to do the will of God, obey him? Don't you want your neighbors, your parents, your children, your siblings, your co-workers, don't you want them to do that? He's your king. He's the king. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. Don't you want them to obey him? How different would all of our lives be if everyone was doing the will of God. Wouldn't that be fantastic? That would have impact in every aspect of life, wouldn't it? It would be wonderful. We are to pray for that. That's what it means for his kingdom to come. So we need to work toward it. We need to be doing his will ourselves and preaching Christ, and calling others to do his will. And I'm convinced we should also, in in a democratic-type government, we should be voting for people who will pass laws that are in line with his will. All of this matters. We should do our jobs. We should want the, the, the management of our companies to do his will. Pray for that. We must not get siloed. You know what I mean by that? We must not look at our, our, our devotion to Christ and his kingdom as, as our little silos. I have my little quiet time in the morning. I go to my worship service on Sunday. And those are Jesus' kingdom and our little silos. But the rest of the world, Jesus doesn't really have anything to do with that. No, that's not true. The ends of the earth are his inheritance. All the nations are his inheritance. There is no aspect of your life that is not under the rule and the reign of King Jesus. No aspect of your life, from the smallest to the greatest aspects of your life, it's all kingdom stuff because Jesus rules over all. There's no little part of your life that you can say, well, this is not 
spiritual. This is not kingdom stuff. We, I don't even like that distinction. Spiritual? Where does the Bible talk about that? Does, it, does the Bible use the word spiritual the same way we do? I don't think so. Again, we, we sort of have this, um, this feeling, this experiential view of the kingdom, but then my work, my play, my hobbies, my house, my job, my car, those things are not really part of the kingdom. Yes, they are. Everything is in the kingdom. That does not mean everybody obeys the king. That's why we pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Dale says it's clearly defined in the book of second opinions. <laughs> yes. All right. So last, uh, last passage for us as we, as we wrap this up. In Paul's letter to the Romans which we are going to start on Monday. I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, in chapter 14, you may be familiar with this passage. It's the, uh, the quote-unquote uh, uh, stronger, weaker brother passage, which when we get there, I'll show you that uh, it's an easy passage to misunderstand. But in this section, Paul is addressing uh, the people who set aside one day like the Sabbath, and then there are those who don't set aside the Sabbath day. There are those who won't eat meat that was sacrificed to idols and other believers who will freely eat any meat, no matter what ceremony it was used for. Same thing with drinking wine. If it was uh, poured out for a uh, libation to a false god, some say, my conscience is not clear. I can't drink it because it was dedicated to a false god. And others are saying, eh, there's no such thing as a false god. I can drink this wine and that's fine. Paul's addressing that uh, divergence, that, that difference of opinion in, among Christians. And he's saying to the person who sees that it is that we are free to look at every day the same and not hold to a Sabbath, or we're free to eat meat, we're free to drink wine. He says, don't let that freedom be spoken of as evil for you. Because if, if you lead your brother into a stumbling place with that, then you're sinning. And, and again, we'll, we'll get there eventually and talk about it. But is in the context of eating meat and drinking wine offered to idols. And here's what he says. Do not let what is for you a good thing, eating and drinking, be spoken of as evil. Why? For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is not about the food you eat, the wine you drink. Well, then what is it about, Paul? He says, but, and in the Greek, this is a, a strong adversative. It's rather, not that, but rather this. Rather, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is the kingdom of God, as Paul put it. Do you see how all this makes sense? From way back in Genesis, the earth is full of wicked, corrupt, hostile people. 
by the time of Noah, mankind had become so wicked that God was fed up. He said he, he grieved that he even made man on the earth and he sent a flood to kill them all except Noah and his family. And then after the flood, Noah and his family reproduced. They fill the earth again with people and it's corrupt again. And they start to build this tower to the heavens, the Tower of Babel, and they are going to make a name for themselves. And this time God doesn't destroy them, but he spreads them out throughout the earth and confuses their language and all that. And then he chooses Abraham, one man, to start a new plan. And let me fast forward for the time's sake. All of it was to get to his son, Jesus, who would come and give his life on the cross for his people, for those of us who believe. And his dying on the cross brings forgiveness for us. Then he rose from the dead and he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he reigns today as king. And he sent his spirit to transform the world by transforming his people. So that he's undoing the curse and he's undoing all of the wickedness that came from Adam and Eve sinning. Right now he's doing that. There are millions and millions and millions, if not billions of Christians on the earth, spirit-filled people who are pursuing righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's how the kingdom expands. So, this is what we're all about. Righteousness, doing the right thing. We put off sin. Think about how many times in the New Testament we have this put off, put on idea, right? Put off these things. Put off stealing. Put on righteousness. In that case, it looks like working hard to have money so you can be generous to others, so you can stop stealing because you don't need their money, and enjoy God's good gifts. Right? Work. Be righteous. Do the right thing. Think about what we call the practical sections of the epistles. In Ephesians, for instance, it's husbands love your wives. That's righteousness. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's righteousness. Fathers, Raise up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord Jesus. That's right. This is the right thing to do. Children, obey your parents. It's the right thing to do. Masters, be good to your slaves. Slaves, submit to your masters. Submit to the governing authorities. Pay your taxes. Love one another. Give preference to one another. Be devoted to one another. All the one another's. Those are the right things to do because King Jesus reigns and he has sent his spirit and that spirit is transforming us and giving us a heart to do what pleases him, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if you're in sin, you're not living in the kingdom. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, let me just pull that up real quick. Paul is uh, Paul is pretty strong here, and I know a lot of people, a lot of Christians, teach this pretty poorly. But 
Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous, remember the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace. Do you not know that the, uh, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he lists these unrighteous people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Fornicators. I saw just this morning before I went live, uh, what's her name? Nancy Mace. She's a congresswoman. I forget uh, what her role is exactly, but she apparently was at some Christian prayer breakfast. And she was, she said this like on video at this prayer breakfast this morning that her fiance tried to pull her back in bed to make love to her. And she had, she said, no, I don't have time. She had to get on and get dressed so she could go to this prayer breakfast. So she's in front of this group of presumably Christians, supposedly as a Christian, saying my fiance wanted me to commit fornication with him this morning, but I wouldn't because I had to come join you. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. Doesn't mean if you've ever done this, there's no hope. No, but you repent. You put your faith in the gospel. You are filled with the Holy Spirit and he is transforming you. And such were some of you. Not such are some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of God, right? That's who inherits the kingdom. Those who are washed and sanctified and justified by Jesus. Righteousness, a characteristic of those in the kingdom is we are righteous and we are pursuing righteousness. And then there's joy, are you a joyful person? If you are in the kingdom, you are a joyful person. The Holy Spirit, what are the, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy. How can you not be happy? Your sins are forgiven. You have the power to repent of those past things you did. Joy, be happy. Don't be dour. Don't be down. Don't be discouraged. The kingdom of God is joy and peace. Are you a man or a woman of peace? Do you pursue peace with others? Do you live in the blessing and the peace of the Lord? If you're in the kingdom, you do. That's how we are to manifest the kingdom on the earth now as we wait for the kingdom that is not yet. I, I just think Christians, uh, we make this so complicated and we miss the wonderful kingdom that we live in. All right, I see a couple of your uh, thoughts here. Let me... Uh, comment on this, and then uh, then we'll call it a day. Ron says, 
It is a radically different way to live rather than the silo life. Indeed, going back to something we talked about a minute ago. Yeah, very good. Oink Oink says, is it a stretch to think that if God's kingdom fills the earth, that the earth by extension will be filled with peace? No, not at all. That's exactly what's going to happen. That's exactly what's going to happen. If, I don't know, just throwing something out there for the sake of argument. If 90% of the people that you interact with are truly kingdom people, if, if they are believers, doesn't that mean that your environment is going to be filled with peace and joy and righteousness? Of course it is. Of course it is. I think that's where it's all heading. Mike says, are you going to comment on the kingdom postponed idea of the dispensationalist? Um, only to say that I don't see any evidence of that in the scripture. Uh the kingdom is not postponed. Everything we've been looking at says the kingdom has come with the king. Remember, Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, the kingdom is here. Uh, the, the millennial kingdom of revelation and this dispensationalist idea that, that God put it on pause to tur- turn his attention to the Gentiles, that is, that's a, a view that the kingdom is really about Israel. No, the kingdom is not about Israel. The kingdom is about Jesus. And uh, now Jews and Gentiles alike, if they come to faith in Jesus, are in the kingdom. So there's no postponement. Um, Yeah. Ron says, uh, the word gives it to us real simple, but we intellectualize it, read it, and do it rather than tailor it around our lives. Simple challenge for Noah and simple challenge for us. Indeed. Think about what uh, God said to the Jews through Micah. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Walk, uh, no, do justly, do the right thing, do what is right, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. It's not that hard. Well, it may be hard, but it's not that complex. Carol says, I believe that joy in the Spirit is related to knowing and experiencing the will of God by doing Jesus' works rather than having goosebumps or feeling good while singing. Isn't that the truth? I mean, I love music, and music can certainly make you feel something but do what is right love one another rejoice in god's abundant gifts he is blessing our socks off day in and day out but we set our we set our focus on our circumstances and what we didn't get so we're discontent or we we put our hope in people or events or whatever instead of just being amazed that sinners like us would be so blessed. We are forgiven. We do have the hope of eternal life. We do have a hope of the heavenly kingdom awaiting us. And every good gift that is yours, that you experience, is a gift from your Father in heaven. And he's giving you numerous gifts. Certainly there are seasons of trial. The New Testament talks about this. I've been through them, you've been through them, where it's a battle every day to find his blessing, to to hope, because we're in the valley of the shadow of death. The book of James is written to tell us your faith is on trial and, and your faith will be tried. Will you hold fast even when things are hard? But for most of us, those are seasons that is not, by and large, how life is. 
but we tell ourselves it is because we have this victim mentality, which is encouraged by the world. It's encouraged by Christians. It's encouraged by Christian counseling. I told you yesterday, I don't like Christian counseling. So much of it is built around this idea that you're a victim, you're defeated, life is awful, and you know all these people are mistreating you and failing you and abusing you and grooming you and all that nonsense. Get your eyes off all that stuff. The kingdom of God that is now is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Live in those things and let's build the kingdom and let's serve Jesus and let's worship him and let's do the right thing. You have lots of choices today. Choose the right thing. Choose a thing that is obedient to, to your king, that is pleasing to him and love others more than you love yourself and you'll experience great joy. All right, we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, Monday, we will start a new series on the uh, letter of Paul to the Romans. So look forward to seeing you there. Gentlemen, come back tomorrow. It's Friday. Friday is with the fellows. We'll talk about manhood and wisdom and so on. And all of you, search these things, read these things in the scripture, and serve your King Jesus. His kingdom has come. Have a great day in the Lord. We'll see some of you tomorrow and the rest of you on Monday. Take care.